Um, we have been in the middle of a series called uh, Between the Land Between, and if you haven't been here, go back and listen to these. What we're talking about, though, is we have been in the middle of a series that talks about this area, this space, if you will, that exists in every single one of our lives. The land between for us is this space where life is not as it once was, and we can't quite see the future, and so we're kind of caught in between. We're caught in this, this space, and the space is not a fun space. The, fa- the, the space is a necessary space, but it comes with like this desert dryness. And there's these emotions that are wrapped up in the middle. There's these, these seasons that you go through where you go, listen, I don't know what's coming. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so we even begin to look backwards and go, if I could just go back there, even though it wasn't great either, I would take that over where I'm currently. And so here we're caught in the land between. And we said that the land between is a great place where things can grow. Grow, but you get to decide what grows there. We said it can, can, it can grow anger and resentment and bitterness. It can grow apathy, or we can allow, again, as we partner with God in this process, we can allow it to become something that grows our faith, that grows our trust, that grows our passion for not only life in general, but to help people to also get through this. But we said it's an unavoidable space, and so what we do with the space and the time that we're in the space makes all the difference. One of the things that we're going to learn about the land between is that discouragement is certain, but meltdown is optional. Guys, if we're trying to avoid discouragement, it's not going to happen. But allowing that discouragement to lead us to a place of meltdown is optional for us. I remember 2006, it was the spring of 2006, I had a moment where meltdown was in three, two, one. Standing in our guest bedroom, we lived in Old Hickory at the time, and I'm standing in our guest bedroom on a Thursday morning, and I'm putting some things away in the closet That's my closet, by the way. I have the guest bedroom closet. And so I'm putting some stuff in my closet in the guest bedroom. That should tell you who takes up most of our closet in our master bedroom. But I'm putting some things away. And I just had a moment. I had a moment where meltdown was about to happen. I had been at a church, and we had been doing some some ministry. Lori and I, at the time, we were ministering to, to students. And we moved in from West Virginia to Nashville, and we, we knew that this was going to be a great season of ministry for us. And we had been with this church a couple of years. And there were some decisions made that, that we didn't have anything to do with, that had nothing to do with us, and it definitely did not have anything to do with our students. But we were, we were kind of cooking like we were going along, we were making inroads into schools, and our student ministry was beginning to really take off and grow. And on any given Wednesday night, We'd push 75, 80 students, which was phenomenal for where we were and, who, and, and at, that, at that time. And I remember this one Wednesday night, I come in, and we had, we had kind of programmed, we had, had, had everything set up so that we could maximize the space to be relational, but also introduce people to this concept of who Jesus is and how he was going to shape their life. And I had a moment where what would happen over the course of these two or three weeks that led to this Thursday morning would shape and transform the way I do ministry even to today. But when I was in that moment, it didn't feel like I was going anywhere. It didn't feel like this was going to come out in a good way. I remember walking in on a Wednesday night, 80, 
to where there was 13 students. And, and the church at that time had gone through a, a course of change that, that was not necessarily received positively. And so as a result of that, families began to walk away. Families that I had connection with, families that I had, had invested in, families that I had looked to to be cornerstones of our ministry. All of a sudden, we're, we're, we're cooking along with 80 students. And then I walk into a Wednesday night. It was 13. The week after that was 13 again. The week after that was 12. And I'm going, okay, when does it stop? And I had a moment putting some things away in my closet where I just said, okay, God, what is the deal? I had a moment where tears began to roll down my face because I began to take things personally. God, is it something I'm doing? God, is it something I'm not doing? Is it something that I can fix? Is it something that I should have fixed? Is it something? And I began to ask these questions. And the questions began to roll in such a place where I began to even question, God, am I even supposed to be doing ministry? Am I supposed to be doing student ministry? God, do I even have the ability to get through this? God, what am I? I, I, This is not what I signed up for. And so I had this moment where I'm not sure discouragement would even be the proper word for the the emotions that I was feeling at the moment. And it was deep and it was dark. And I just had that moment. I didn't even come out of the closet. I just fell in the closet and said, okay, God, what gives? I mean, God, we're talking about students. And I know how you feel about children and students. And I mean, I get when adults do stupid things, but this is affecting our students. God, do you not care about our students? And so God and I had a real honest moment. And what began to happen over the course of months is that God introduced me to some new students. God introduced me to a guy named John and a guy named Tarek and a kid named Philip that came because they knew we had a gym, and so they began to play basketball. In the course of the next year, it changed the way I see church. It changed the way I, I, I saw ministry. It changed the way that I did everything in ministry, but I didn't see it that day that way when I had a meltdown in my closet. See, when we find ourselves in these land betweens, I want you to know that discouragement is certain. And it can be dark, and it can be deep. I have found that even the most hopeful person, I'm talking about the people that you're going to roll into work tomorrow. It's 8 a.m., you've had one cup of coffee on the way, but you've not had enough to encounter this person. I'm talking about those people, it's like, it's Monday, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you're like, dude, if you, if you don't back up, we're about to go. I'm talking about the most hopeful, optimistic, cup is half full all the time, nothing bad happens in life. I have found that even those people are going to have to fight, and they're going to have to scratch. They may not show it to you on Monday morning, but there's going to come a season in life where they, even those kinds of people, because a lot of times what happens in this is that we get in these seasons and we feel abnormal, like we're the only ones. Everybody at the office is up and and everybody in the neighborhood's up, and am I the only one in these moments? But even the most hopeful people are going to have to fend off, and they're going to have to process through these moments of deep, dark discouragement. See, most of us, we respond in one of a few ways. I don't know how it is that you respond, but I'm going to guess you fit in one of a couple different categories. For some of us, we bury things. 
We just kind of don't talk about it, right? We just kind of stuff, we just kind of put it away and we bury it down. We ignore it because we think if we ignore it, it'll eventually just go away. It's kind of that whole attitude about us fake it till I make it. And so I'm just going to kind of bury some things. But here's what happens with us barriers. And I'm a barrier. What happens in those moments, if we're not careful, guess what happens? Pressure builds, and like a a volcano, we just erupt. And when we do, it leaves an ash, right, of regret. And you go, man, I should have dealt with this before, but I didn't know how to deal with that. And so this is what happens. It feels good at the moment, but it's not healthy in the long run. And so we just bury. For some of us, we're dumpers. It doesn't matter who's in front of us. They're about to get dumped, whatever's on my mind at the moment. Now, I want to tell you, you're the person I don't want to see on Monday morning either. I don't want to see cup half full guy, and I don't want to see you. In fact, if you'll probably notice, if you've done this long enough, I'm going to guess you probably are pretty lonely in public places, in spaces of relationship. Because people see you coming, and they're like, oh, here we go. I don't know what's on his mind today, but I don't need it. And so dumpers... It's not a healthy place in the long run either because what happens with dumpers is you find, again, you find yourself very lonely or at least people have this mental clock of ticking down to the moment that they can escape you. It's that moment where as soon as somebody else walks in the room, they, 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 not, they, they get away from you as quickly as possible. And then we have people who are stuffers. You go, well, that kind of sounds like barriers. No, it's a little different because what happens with stuffers is that they stuff things around it. They stuff substance. Even if it's not the abuse of, but substance. They can't wait till Friday night because they know. Three, four, five drinks in, man, I, 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 I have an insulation now. Or we stuff it with shopping. Again, I fit in that category. I'm a therapeutic shopper. And so we stuff it we stuff it with all sorts of things, food, and, and we hope that if we can stuff enough around it, it will in and of itself relieve some of the pain, some of the hurt, or some of the frustration. But what we find with stuffers, it's kind of like a balloon. We made some balloon animals one time for a VBS in New York that we were doing. And what, what you find with those is that the, the amount of air in the balloon doesn't change. You just distort where it goes. And so before you know it, you're just, you've got this misshapen balloon because all you've done is stuff. You think, well, I'll stuff food or I'll stuff substance or I will stuff shopping, but all you've done is transfer it. Nothing changed. Discouragement is certain, but meltdown's optional. So here's the thing. Before we melt down, before we completely explode or implode on whoever's standing in front of us, or better yet, before we collapse under the weight of it, What if we dealt with it? What if we began to say, okay, how do I take these patches of negative terrain that are going to come in my land between, and how do I I learn from them? Because here's the thing, it's not a matter of if, it's when. And so let's process this. We find ourselves in the middle of a story that's kind of recorded in Exodus 16 through 25. It really starts back at the beginning of Exodus, and it's also cross-referenced in a book called Numbers. And so in Numbers 11, we saw last week, we saw this moment. And so today I want to zoom back in there for just a second. But we see this guy named Moses who's dealing with a mob. And it's not just any mob. It's a mob of of hungry people. In fact, they're hangry, right? I mean, they're angry. They're bitter. They're beginning to just complain. It's becoming very natural. And so they're demanding that Moses does something. But they're also blaming God for not doing enough. And so you have this whirlpool, this mix of things that's happening in Numbers 11. And you couple that with, if you remember the story, if not, just go back to about Exodus chapter 3. You'll read through. Moses is dealing with this mob. 
and he didn't even want the job in the first place. There was a moment where he goes, God, I told you back at the burning bush, I didn't want the job. I wasn't the man for the job. And so now all this has escalated to a point where it is about to melt down in three, two, one. And so we're going to pick up in verse 10. It says, Moses heard the people of every family, every family, wailing at the entrance, and he became troubled. And then verse 11, look at this. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why uh, do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land? You promised them on oath to their ancestors. What he's saying is, God, this wasn't even a deal that I was a part of. You made the promise. Why aren't you dealing with this? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give me meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. We read this and we go, whoa. But if we're honest, how many of you can relate to that? How many of you look at this and you can feel it because you have experienced it? You feel the weight of exhaustion. And you feel this doubt and you feel discouragement. You feel that Moses is on the brink. He is on the edge of emotional collapse. And I don't know about you, but Moses begins a series of questions. It's the same questions I have. It's the same question standing in my closet I had. It's the questions of why? What have I done? How can I do this? And then he goes back to the first question, why God? Why? And so we have this moment, and I know about you, I've been there. Maybe you are there right now. And, and I want to kind of hit pause for just a second because I want us to make sure that we understand what's going on here. Last week we looked at verses 4 through 6 or 8, and then we coupled that with 18, 19. This is 11 through 15. And at first glance, it looks like it's the same response as the, the people of Israel. If you weren't here last week, we kind of blasted at first, until we realize that we are the very things that we kind of tend to peer from above, we kind of came at the Israelites and said, how in the world could you guys complain about what's going on after God has done so much? And then we figure out that, you know what, we do it too. And so we see last week the children of Israel, these people, this nation that Moses has been tasked to lead, they again, their they're, uh, they're, they're despair, they're, the frustration, we said they're sick and tired, and then we read Moses' response and we go, wow, he's right there with them. And so we begin to equate the two, but there's a major difference and I don't want you to miss the difference. That's why I divided them up. And this difference that we're going to point out, it's a simple difference, but it's a major difference. It's a massive difference because it's going to have huge effect on the outcome of this section of the land between. And here it is. The Israelites complained about God. Moses prays and talks to God. And you go, is it, you catch that? Israelites complained about God. Go back and read it. 
Not one time do they address God. They address Moses about God. And Moses, his attitude is one that says, listen, I'm going to have a different approach. Yeah, I'm in the same season. We said the terrain looks the same for all of us, but not the way we react. And so here, the, here they all are in the same place of despair. But Moses says, I'm going to have a little different attitude. I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to talk to God. Moses is over his head. He's spent. He's tapped out. He's at the end of his rope. He's at a complete loss. And again, we get this because we've been there. And so here's what we've got to do. We've got to learn to do what Moses did, and that is this. We're just going to lay our hearts bare before God. We're going to get to that place where we avoid meltdown, but we're going to really begin to be honest. And so, okay, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. And if you go back and you begin to look, verse 11, he says, what have I done? I mean, you've put the burden of all these people. Verse 12, we see I'm supposed to carry these people in my arms. He's just going to lay it out there. And then finally he gets to verse 14 and he says, it's too heavy. I can't carry all this. And then he finally just says, you know what? If this is what life has got for me, then just go ahead and kill me now, God. And I've been there. If I live long enough, I'll be back there. And so I, I've got to learn to deal with this. I've got to learn to navigate this. And again, you may be there. And, and the point is, this is that life is heavy and there's no avoiding that. There are going to be moments where life just suddenly burdens you and you feel like you're carrying this impossible weight. Maybe for you, the weight of just responsibility of making ends meet. And so you feel the weight of a husband or you feel the weight of a wife or you feel the weight of a parent. Uh, And it doesn't matter what the household looks like. It can be single parent or both parents or a grandparent. You feel the weight of responsibility when it comes to your kids. And and you're, you're about to be crushed. For you, maybe it's grief. And grief over something sits like this 100-pound dumbbell. doesn't keep you from walking and moving around. But man, through the day and through the course of this, it begins to really hurt the back. To the point that you're slumped over, you're about to just face forward into the floor. Maybe it's fear or anxiety or worry for you. And and, and this stress that when you sit down or when you lay down, it feels like an elephant is standing on your chest. And you're sitting there going, any minute now, this is just going to collapse. My my, my chest is going to collapse. It's going to cave in. I don't have the motivation to keep going, and so we get to this place, and we have a decision to make because meltdown is happening. And so what do we do with this? I'm not sure where to turn next, and I just want to point you again back to Moses. And here's what Moses found out, that his turning point was turning to God. If you don't read anything else today or hear anything else today, I want you to know that the turning point for wherever you are, wherever you might find yourself, the turning point. Now, it may not immediately change, but I'm telling you through the process of you kind of holding hands with God, walking through this together, the turning point's going to be turning to God. See, his situation began to change based on who he turned to, not what he could run from. And we said from the beginning of this series that this is not a series on how to exit the wilderness quickly. See, we tend to take the last approach. We say, okay, how quickly can I run from this? Meaning that all the pressure's on me. I've got to escape it. I've got to find the quickest exit route. I've got to run from. And Moses says, listen, God, I ain't running from nothing. I'm turning to. I'm going to turn to you, and we're just going to have a real heart-to-heart. And we look at this, and we go, hold up, is that okay? I mean, I mean, especially if you look at the level of rawness, 
You begin to experience and feel Moses' angst in this, and you begin to go, is it okay to approach God? I mean, if we keep reading, does God like somehow shower lightning bolts at him because he's been offended and mad? I mean, what's, what's God's response to this? And again, if we read out, God's not offended at all. And we begin to ask those moments, and I ask it in my closet, can I really, it just kind of came out, but can I really talk to God this way? Can I really begin to ask those kinds of questions? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. I want you to know that you can be honest to God. You can be real. The land between is tailor-made for questions. Questions that aren't always positive, questions of doubt. And I want you to know that Scripture is full of these moments. And they're full of these conversations and prayers that are very similar to Moses. I want to take you to one very quickly, and you're going to talk about this if you're in a house group. But there's a guy named Elijah who's, who, who existed centuries before Moses. In 1 Kings 18, there's this moment. There's this moment where he's coming off of a mountain peak, and we said from the beginning, too, that you can go from peak into the land between in a split second, and Elijah's experiencing one of these moments where he has just had this big victory with God on his side. He has just shown down the, the, the prophets of Baal and all those who were worshiping false idols. He has this moment, and so his, he should be on cloud nine. He's full of confidence. He's full of trust. He's like, listen, man, I got this. God, together we make a force. And then in a split moment, he is thrust into the land between because Queen Jezebel, it's bad for business for her. And so she seeks to kill him. And so now all of a sudden, we, we peer in on Elijah who is running for his life. He's gasping for air. He's scared to death. He's frustrated. He has all these moments and he gets to a, a place where his life is in jeopardy. Talk about a land between. He gets to a breaking point and listen to what he says to God. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Bathsheba in, in, in Judah, he left his servants. He said, I don't even want to be around people I know. While he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he's in the land between, he came to a, brush, a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And here's what he says, Lord, I have had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then it says he was laid down and he took a nap. I'm done. Spent. And again, this sounds familiar, and we could go through countless stories where people have these moments of dark despair. And they go to God and they lay it all out bare. And again, his turning point had to do with the direction that he was facing. The turning point for Elijah, Moses, and Jeremiah and a host of others, the turning point was who they turned to. And so here's, I want to give you permission today. In your land between, I want to give you permission to just start crying out to God. I don't know what your situation is. If you want to let us in on that and we can help you however we can, that's fine. But if not, I want you to just begin with you and God saying, God, I can't do this anymore. And I want you to know that this is not a place of weakness. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think what we see in Moses and in Elijah, and we'll begin to see in our own stories, is that it's not a place of weakness where I cry out. In fact, it's a place of strength. 
See, what happens in these moments is, is that sometimes we think that it, it's an indication of, of spiritual deficiency when we get to a place where we can't handle anymore and we got to you know, call on God to, to kind of get us out of a mess that we can't. What if we begin to see that as spiritual health instead of deficiency? And I want you to know that, that God is not going to get offended. In fact, do you realize that God invites these moments? You remember a familiar passage, something that Jesus said? Jesus says, come to me. He says, come at me. And he says, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened and discouraged, and I will give you rest. And that only happens when he takes it. But it can only happen when you bring it. And so it's this invitation where, where Jesus, beating as the heartbeat of God, says, listen, I want to hear it out. I don't want to hear everything. And I want to help unload some of those kinds of things because healing you and helping you through this is close to the heart. But again, you can't find rest if you don't come. And you can't find rest if you don't say, God, i got to get some stuff off my chest. i just got to let some things out there. And again, we see it over and over again. So I want to give you a voice today. Speak up. I don't know what the change is going to look like, and I don't know how long the transition may be. I don't know exactly what the transformation for you is going to look like, but I know it's going to start with you speaking up, speaking out, finding your voice with God. And I'm going to tell you, this is not comfortable. It's not pleasant. In fact, it's kind of awkward at first. But I'm telling you, the very act of you beginning to vocalize some things, voicing your trouble to God, is going to be the beginning of a conversation that will begin to open up his care and his provision and his grace and his mercy and his healing. So as we kind of land this morning, I want to give you really quickly a, just a practical place. I like to be practical. I want to give you a simple place because I know that, that some of you probably don't know where to start. I mean, how do I find the words? How do I, how do I begin to, to, to operate in a a level of honesty with God, and I want, to, I want to point you to a place, and you kind of navigate this how you want to. I want you to start in the Psalms, and if you don't know anything about the Psalms, it's typically at the, in the back of the Gideon Bible that you have in your hotel. It's New Testament and Psalms, and there's probably a reason that it's there because what you see in the Psalms is a full range of human emotion. Everything that you have, have felt, will feel, is found in there somewhere. And it's this collection of short stories and poems and songs, and, and many of them were written in, guess where? They're written in land-betweens. And so we see these authors who are in the wilderness, and we see these people who are writing songs out of these deep places of despair. Let me just give you an example. And what I want you to do is start in Psalm 1 and just begin reading until you find language that, that you begin to say, that's where I'm at. That's what I've been trying to say. That's what I would like to say. And I promise you won't get very far. If you get all the way to Psalm 13, I'll be shocked. But Psalm 13, listen to some of the language just to give you, again, a snapshot of an example. Verse 1, the author starts out like this. He says, how long, Lord? He says, will you forget me forever? It's this jumping up and down going, God, do you not see me? Do you not see me? Do you not see me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart. And I promise you, you're going to be able to, and so if nothing else, if you get all the way to Psalm 13, just read that. Make those your words. Make those your voice. 
If that's not it, like I said, just begin reading. You'll find words that fit exactly how you feel and just begin to use those things in conversation with God. And God will then begin to open up your your heart. He will begin to make you more and more comfortable in these moments where you begin to see that, you know what, God is not some far-off God that doesn't care, doesn't listen, doesn't hear. Instead, what I'm finding is that God is very present in my stuff. God is very knowledgeable of my stuff. Because what happens, and the reason, again, I want to point you to the Psalms, is that what happens is there's a shift that always takes place. There is moments of darkness and despair and discouragement, but look how this psalm ends. In verse 5 and 6, same author, same situation, same day. He says, but I will trust in your unfailing love, and my heart will rejoice in your salvation. Again, something that's already been done on his behalf. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And here's why the Psalms is the place I want you to start if you don't already have these rhythms and voices. Because it's going to remind you that the hope for the future is established in God's goodness to us in the past. And again, I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I know that the Lord is good. And what he has done in the past, he will do again. And this author says, listen, I don't know how this is going to end, but... I will trust you, God, because you have been my salvation and you have been good to me in the past. And so I'm going to leave it right there. Moses and Elijah and David expressed hurt and pain, but more so was determined even in those moments to trust God and God always came through. Now I want you to know this morning that no one is asking you In no way to ignore your pain. Instead, I'm asking you to do the opposite. God is inviting you through the words of Jesus. Come, let me have it. Cry out, but know that trust always gets the last word. Trust always wins, and that's a difference maker. Movement of emotion to God is much different than a spray of bitterness about God. And so as this moment of meltdown approaches wherever you are, and it will come, get it all out on the table. Have a moment in your closet. Have a moment in your car. And remember that honest prayer is powerful prayer. Don't be afraid to let God know here's what it is. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to have a song and a time of response, if you want, before we end this morning. We always like to give you the opportunity to to make a response. And here's what I want you to understand. Leanne is such such a voice of faith on our staff. And she's always talking about arms wide open. And I want you to know this, that in opening your hands... To release frustration. God, take it. Just get, the, get it out of here. God, I, I'm, I'm ex- great pain. Get it, take it, God. God, my anxiety, my fear. I'm just going to open my hands and release that to you, God. 
That when you, when you open your arms to release those things that God, yes, is already aware of, and don't get caught in the, the logic of, well, if God already knows about it, then why do I need to tell him? Because he wants to hear from you. But I want you to notice something, that in those moments when you begin to get to a place where you go, okay, God, here it is. I'm not going to spray it about you. I'm just going to spray it to you. So here it is. That it's in those moments that you leave your hands in perfect position to receive what God's going to give you next. And I'm going to tell you, I'm the opposite from, a, from, from some sort of prosperity gospel guy. I'm not telling you that if you go home this afternoon and you get in your closet and you open your hands and say, okay, God, here it is, that you're going to walk out and find a, a, a check in the mailbox. I'm not a guy who, who's going to pastor to you and minister to you that, you know what, if you'll do something better, then God will be better to you. It's not the way God works. God says, just, just trust me. Just, just lean in. Let me hear it. And in doing so, I may not take it immediately because I'm trying to, to create a, a space in your life where you become completely dependent on me. And I don't know about you, I don't always need God when things are going good. But it's in these moments where God says, listen, let's go through a season when things aren't so good. And let's see what there is to learn together because what I'm, what's going to happen is I'm going to begin to transform you in these moments. I'm going to grow you in these moments. But it starts with us being honest with God. I'm not asking you to be honest with anybody else in the room. I'm not asking you to go home and cry out to your husband or wife or just start with God and say, okay, God, here it is. And watch over time. It may be immediate, it may not be. It may be another two years, I don't know. But God will begin to infuse. He'll begin to deliver into your hands as you free things up to Him. He will deliver peace, strength. It's like the author says in Psalm 13, he says, I will trust in your unfailing love for you have been good to me. And your goodness made look like complete relief of my situation but it may not but I tell you what I'm going to trust you God however you want to play this out but it starts with you being raw and honest and open to God so that's your assignment this week you're in the land between or you want to prepare for what might come next in the land between go ahead and begin to put in place building blocks of faith and trust so God this morning we ask that you would do what only you can do and that is begin to open our hearts to open our minds to free us of the burden of having to do this ourselves. God I don't ever want any of us to get to a place but I know that reality says we will where we are wishing death where we're wishing that you know what I, I, God I question my existence I don't want us to get there. And so God, before we do, before we get to meltdown, can we begin to be honest and open with you? God, you are the creator. You are the sustainer. God, you, 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 you have gone out of your way to, to show us and lavish on us this extraordinary love. So God, can we lean into that? God, I, I don't want to tippy-toe around you. Instead, I, I, want to, I want to man up and let's talk. So Father, give us the courage to do that. 
Father, for those who will need courage, I pray that they find their voice in Psalm 1 and they don't, make, they don't even make it to Psalm 2 or 3 or 13. That they begin to find their voice and as you begin to hear that voice, you will again begin to let them know that you are present and that you care. And they will begin to feel a peace as they begin to wrestle through your mercy and your grace and your goodness. Father, we pray all of this, and we will continue to pray this throughout the course of our week. In your son's name, who makes all this possible. It's what it's all about. Father, today we leave it with you, through your spirit and through your son.